All your base are belong to us. Hello, and welcome to Fake Geek Girls, a podcast looking at nerdy pop culture from both a fan and critical perspective, encouraging the things we love to do better. I'm Missy, I'm a writer, and I didn't think of what to say before I started. I'm Mary, I'm a digital marketer, and I did nothing because I had to do a lot of stuff for the podcast. Look, I had to watch a bunch of stuff, I have to listen to a bunch of stuff, and you know, depression. You know, you know how it is. You know how it is. You know how it is. Um, this is so what we've been up to. I don't know why I needed to introduce it, but just you, in case. You probably already know. You probably know this because you see the title. Um, also, we just talked about what we've been doing or yeah. what I've been doing, I guess. Um, we were at Emerald City Comic Con this year. We were. I picked up a bunch of zines, but I haven't read them yet, so I can't review them. I'm sorry. I just got some art. I, didn't I got, got some much. art. It was in a new. It was in a new place, which was nice. It was the nice. new place was nice, and I think my biggest complaint was the lack of panels and i and i think you mentioned it and i'm in it i think it's true there's a lack of panel rooms whereas the they're old, really small yeah the old convention center that they used had an ungodly amount of panel rooms yeah like just anyone you get a panel you get a panel and that was nice because there were a lot of more niche panels that you could go to that maybe only 10 or 15 people came up came up but they were really good conversations. Yeah. And we only had, I mean, we only went to two, but the first one was not a good conversation. No. And then, but the second one was really good. What was it called? What was it called? The second one was, I can't remember the, the actual name of it off the top of my head, but it was, um, like the, the future of comics is queer or yeah, something, the future something. of YA is queer, I think. I, yeah, I think it was YA. And, um, it had, okay, it was moderated by Jocelyn Stone. On it was Steens, a cartoonist, uh, Kat Lay, who works on Lumberjanes. I cannot remember the name of the guy. He was the only one I wasn't familiar with. Um, he made me cry. He, yeah, he was. Like, he made everyone cry. Really insightful. Um, and then N.D. Stevenson and Molly Ostertag. Yeah. Um, and I loved that panel. I thought it was so good. It was. There is a danger with panels of not necessarily panels but there is kind of this tendency in queer ya to and you you've probably heard me pop off about like wholesomeness and stuff before there's this like feeling that if it's not appropriate for kids and is not palatable to the masses then it is somehow degenerate which is actually how uh, how people works and how people are banning books yeah that idea of adult material as being degenerate is super super dangerous um and that doesn't mean that i think that that kids like media for children shouldn't exist of course it should um i just think that when we valorize one type over another we le- we're leading ourselves toward a dangerous path toward decrying anything that is sexually suggestive as degeneracy. And I really, 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 I cannot provide enough reallys. I really appreciated how this panel did not do that. This they, panel, like intentionally, it felt like mm-hmm. did not do that. It was so good about discussing the necessity of queer media for kids, the budding landscape for queer media for kids, and then also acknowledging creators like Cardamonier, who are just essential to pushing queer comics like 
essential. And the kind of comics that Carter Munir makes are not for kids, A. They're also not mainstream comics. The type of comics that Carter Munir makes are like queer. When I say queer, I mean they challenge the norms. They are not just representational. They are essential in like creating a sense of queer normalcy um, because they address the realities of queer life and the joys of queer life and all of these things in an adult fashion. They're, like I said, not for kids. Um, I appreciated very, 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 very much that this discussion in this panel was so thoughtful and so um, willing to embrace the broad spectrum of queer comics even as it was focused on YA. It was not focused on YA at the expense of anything else. Yeah. And I appreciated that so much. And I appreciated appreciated that they were willing to talk about difficult subjects. And I can't remember exactly what they were. And I'm so sorry. Because <laughs> it's been it's been like a month now. Yeah. Um but I, I just appreciated how willing this panel was to engage with conversations that can be difficult to have. One of the ones that I remember was somebody asked in a I'm paraphrasing. How do you handle working with somebody or a company mm. that treats you well but is shitty to the community? Yeah, and, and that was interesting. Yeah, and this um, ND Stevenson and uh, Molly Ostertag talked about this specifically um, because they create comics on Substack, which funds like Substack directly um, requested a number of. Well, a number of alt-right people, but also um, like gender critical kinds of losers, you know, um, requested a number of those people to create for them as well. And they, uh, and Dee Stevenson and Molly Ostertag talked in the panel about the fact that they were aware of that and they chose to work with Substack anyway because they didn't want the potential of this platform to be lost entirely to those kinds of voices. It's I think it's a really important important thing in in a lot of different areas because by can't sometimes by canceling or like not allowing people to do something like that you are completely silencing a specific group and you're also not allowing them to have jobs. Yeah. It's a complicated thing. Like it really is. I understand the people who were upset at comics creators who did partner with Substack. And I also understand the comic creators who did choose to partner with Substack. I think that both have really valid points. And it's a it's a line that is going to be different for every person. It's not black and white. Yeah. No matter how much people want it to be. Yeah. It's it's a it's a thorny subject. And I appreciated that they were willing to talk about that during the panel and like confront that head on. And specifically like they weren't just like, Oh yeah, of course we've had to work with people that, you know, don't respect us. They were like, here's a perfect example and here's why we did it. And I, I appreciate the transparency. Um, I think everybody on that panel was so smart and Mm -hmm. like, it was so thought provoking and wonderful. Like it was probably one of the best panels that I've seen at a convention. Yeah. It was just, it was run well. Um, most of the questions were really good. Mm-hmm. It was like the perfect, like I cried, I laughed. <laughs> yeah. All these, all the essentials. It was very good. Um, and I am straight just so everyone knows I went to it and it was really good. <laughs> the straight disclaimer. I, well, I just want, I just straight want approved. <laughs> we talk a lot about queer things and I just like, I don't want someone to assume this sounds terrible. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm just laughing I, at you because it's funny. I me. don't want someone to assume that I am speaking on an authority. Yeah, of course. I want someone to like, I want people to know that I am not speaking on authority whatsoever. My favorite thing, I think we talked about this actually in the last what we've been up to, but my favorite thing in the world is to make Mary very uncomfortable <laughs> by calling her an ally. I fucking hate that word. <laughs> it's a stupid fucking word. Yeah. It's. I understand I hear, I hear the need you. for it. Yeah, yeah. I totally understand the need for it, but I don't think we have a need for it anymore. Yeah, in so 2015, funny. sure. Yeah. Not now. Mm-hmm. You're, you just, you're an ally by what you do, not what you're called. Yeah. And um, it, it does kind of feel like calling somebody an ally now does feel a little like patronizing. Yeah. Um, to everybody involved. <laughs> It's called being a decent human being. Yeah. But there are different shades of allyship, right? That is true. Because there's a... Did you hear about that congresswoman in Tennessee? The one who's filibustering? Yeah. And she's like, I'll make your life hell. Mm -hmm. And she is. She's not... Nothing has passed. Yeah. Uh, I follow this one woman. uh, She's a trans woman. And she, like... She talks about like uh, different news things, and she, she usually has either a red light behind her, so people know before going in if it's going to be like sad or mm-hmm. a green light. It's a really nice way to like let people know, hey, like, hey, this might be good or bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she was talking about it, and she just said, she, like, "This is a perfect example of allyship," and I was that worked for me. Yeah, that worked for me, but not. <laughs> That's why I love that one TikTok where it's like, this is so-and-so. They're an ally. Say hi. Ally. <laughs> it's funny because that's how it feels. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I just want to make that disclaimer that I'm not speaking on any authority. <laughs> it's still funny to me, though. It's fine. It um, is funny. It's a thing. Yeah. It is funny. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Emerald City, it was good. It. W- I like the new convention center. I don't think the use of space was great. And, like, I'm so sorry to be an old person right now, <laughs> but, hey, where were the comics? Like, hey. It, it was actually really pretty bad. Hey, where were they? There were, so, like, Shortbox was there, which was great. I was really stoked about Shortbox. They got left off the map, so. That's wild. Yeah. Um. Obviously, there were, like, in Artist Alley, a lot of people were selling their own comics. That was cool. Where were the comics, though? <laughs> like, the... The amount of comics, like publishers especially, was none. I, it was kind of tragic. Um, the organization of the, exhi- the exhibition hall and the artist alley was strange. It was, and it was also really cramped when we first, at least on less on the artist alley side. But yeah, on Saturday, I had to take a moment. And I don't usually have to do that. Like, I don't get overwhelmed very easily. But also, like, it's still co- like we're still in COVID and everything. Right. Um, but it was so there were so many people I had to step away. Mm-hmm. Um, I also having a really bad time in life. So yeah, yeah. that could do it, too. Yeah, um, it certainly doesn't help. It doesn't help. But it was so crowded. I had to take a step away. Yeah. Um, it just the the organization was weird. Like, I. The artist alley made sense. Well, I think that the venue changed last minute. Yeah, I do wonder about that. I I was curious, um, and I used the Wayback Machine to find out how long had this venue been on here because I I we had heard about it like a couple weeks before, and it changed in January. Wow, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's January. The yeah, uh, it felt it felt like growing pains, which is weird because I don't think it actually was growing. But hopefully moving pains. Yeah, I hope next year will be a little better organized. I desperately hope for more of a comics presence like Emerald City 
you gotta, whatever it takes. It's, it's frankly sad to have a convention with comics in the name and have no comics there. It was the comics that were there are like the kinds that in like, you're not going to find anything new. Yeah. You're going there looking for something specific. There were a couple of like indie, like micro publishers, um, which was good. And I'm glad that they were there. We have like four or five publishers of indie comics in the Pacific Northwest and not a single one of them were there. And like, as I work for a Pacific Northwest (laughs) comics publisher. So like, you know, your shit. Well, not like, you know, you can take what I'm saying with a grain of salt for that reason, because like, I'm like in it. You're biased. Yeah. I have a bias. I don't think that you are biased, but I think your bias more comes from your love of comics than it does where you work. Yeah. It's, it's sad to me to have so many comics publishers here and to not have them represented at one of the biggest Pacific Northwest conventions and to know that there's a reason that we're, that those companies are choosing not to exhibit there. They we like I feel like Emerald City should be finding a way to get them there. Yes. Because Agreed. like we have a thriving comic scene here. Why is it not at the biggest comic convention? Cuz it's read pop exactly it's focused on pop culture which is not a bad thing like i don't think i don't think that pop culture is bad obviously do this podcast but like i we can have it all you know there was a whole floor dedicated to gaming with almost nothing on it like surely we could have moved things around and had an indie comic section you know like it's just it's a big bummer for a convention that that was the first convention I ever went to that did have a big comics presence and watching that comics presence dwindle and dwindle and dwindle every year um, is depressing. Yeah, it was, it was sad. Do you fear, do you, so you went to San Diego earlier. Mm -hmm. Do you fear that it's just going further into that? Do you feel? Well, here's the thing. San Diego had more of an, had more of a comics presence than Emerald City did. That's, I guess because they're going to, if they're going to put their money somewhere, it's going to be where That's exactly it. That's exactly it. That's the reason that publishers will continue to go to San Diego, even though it isn't really that type of convention anymore. They'll continue to go there because at least the people are there. This is, this is capitalism at its worst because what it really should be is if you're local, you get either a steep discount, which you know what they might, I don't know. Or you get there's an area that um, is free or you have opportunity or something like that. Yeah. Um, Same with like anything local, I think. So, yeah, I I still really like I really like Emerald City Comic Con. I think it's a good convention. And I think the um, the feeling of being at Emerald City Comic Con to me is better than the feeling of being at San Diego Comic Con. And some of that comes just from the size of the artist alley and the diversity of comics that I can find there like that is a big part of it the strength of Emerald City's Artist Alley alone is enough to keep me going even if I get irritated about yeah the prevalence of Funko Pop booths over <laughs> literally anything I'm sorry I Funko well, hater I am the chief Funko hater I don't think you understand well, um, especially now the street that my comic shop is on it is where the Funko store is. They bought out my favorite coffee shop to put a Funko office. I'm like, I can't stress enough how much I fucking hate Funko Pops. It's, it's Funko HQ, like original HQ. And it's like you go in there and you can have a, a whole experience. So there are a lot of people there. So imagine if the if the coffee shop could have stayed. Right? Oh, it makes me so mad. I'm so, it was such a wonderful coffee shop. But regardless, um, I'm the chief Funko Pop hater. So of course I get mad when I see 
you know, space that could be given to a comics publisher taken up by Funko Pops. Um, I'm absolutely a hater. I'm not, I'm not ashamed. Um, if you like Funko Pops, I, I sincerely don't care. I have a couple Funko Pops, so it's not like And I Missy, hate Mary now. Yeah, now she hates me. <laughs> They're all Star Wars ones. Yeah, no. I, my husband has some as well. So. My, as always, my beef is not with individuals who participate in the purchasing of Funko Pops. You know, it's, I fucking hate Funko the company. Well, Inside Edition, um, <laughs> that's a show, not, anyways, ins- I'm gonna go with it. Inside Edition is apparently one of the shittiest places to work for. I mean, I believe that. It's run by, it's cause, so it's a local company for us, and it's run by, I hope no one from Funko, I doubt anyone from Funko listens to this. If they do, they already know. This is true. It's run by, I think it was started by two men who live in Snohomish, which is a city that is around where we are, and I think they still run it. If I'm at least last time I was trying to find a job and was asking around, um, but they don't know how they don't know how to run it. Sure. So they're just continually trying to get things to work as they go, and apparently not accepting help from professionals and not paying the professionals enough to get them. Mm-hmm. So they they're just not. And they're banking on like really good people wanting to work for Funko. And then, yeah, it's just not apparently, apparently, as far as I've heard from rumors, not a great place to work. Yeah. Funko to me is representative. And I like, again, this is not by beef with you, the listener who may or may not own a Funko Pop. This isn't. Remember, I own them multiple. Yeah. And I I had a subscription to the Funko Star Wars one because I wanted the shirts. Yeah. I like, again, this is not beef with people who own Funkos. Funko to me is representative of the worst part of fandom. Like it is cheap plastic bullshit that all looks the same for the sole purpose of selling you more cheap plastic bullshit. And I understand why people want it because like I have been that exact kind of consumer in the past like I I my thing was always just buying art if I saw art of something I liked it didn't matter if I liked the art style I bought it anyway because I was like I like this thing I must have it yeah and I've like I'm not like that anymore I'm more discerning Um, well we have more options now we do have more options now and that Funko to me is just absolutely like the natural end game of uh, capitalism and fandom like it's just it, it, it yeah. i hate it i just hate it anyways <sighs> emerald city the funkofication of emerald city comic Con. but the artist alley was fucking superb oh the artist alley slaps it was it always so does. good it, it was, was so good so good it was nice because last year it was still during covid and like it was a lot more restrictions but a lot of artists decided they didn't want to go um and so it was a good artist alley but it wasn't like the best this was really fucking good yeah it was really good i don't know anything about popular fandoms <laughs> at all um because I live under a rock and uh, it, it was just great. It was great to see the diversity of art, the different kinds of comics being offered. It was a lot of fun. The, oh, I take it back. I did read exactly one zine because I bought it for a friend. And that was... Oh, oh so I bought uh, Heavyweight Desk Jockey by Ren Strap. Um, sorry, Heavyweight Desk Jockey World Champ, um, which is a comic about how Ren Strap, the cartoonist, uh, got really into weightlifting and how she does that with like her day job and it was excellent i really 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 like ren straps comics um they're just so fun and i also bought a keychain uh from her that just says pulp on it because i too love pulp fiction and halfway through buying it i was like oh this isn't about like orange juice is it (laughs) 
she clarified it can be whatever you want she clarified no it was about pulp fiction <laughs> so um yeah someday i'll read the rest of the zines and i can tell you more about them but um emerald city comic-con it's still a good convention like it's it's it really is the artist alley alone is like worth the price of admission to me which admittedly i got press so the price of admission is quite low. So. <laughs> well, no, we were pro this year. Sorry, we were pros this year for some reason. For some reason, they put. I think I. I was thinking about this where they put took podcasts off of press, and it's probably because everyone has a podcast now. Yeah, that could be. Um, and they, they probably just don't consider it press. Yeah, which I guess is fair. Yeah, it depends. I think on what kind of content you're making, which I imagine is hard to delineate from the conventions. I mean, you'd have to listen to a lot of our stuff to know what's going on. Yeah. We don't even know what's going on. We don't even know. We just start talking. Yeah. Uh so it's it's still like it's a really good convention. I would just next year better panels, please. More panels, please, and organize that floor in a way that makes sense and please god do something to get make it worth the press's while to be there. And yeah. don't leave Shortbox off the map. Damn. Well, and um uh the one that Josh went to, the pa- the yeah, the panels were disorganized. Yeah. They weren't uh, not all of them were on the app or on the schedule. They were they were on the app, but you had to search for them. So if yeah. you just looked at the schedule, it was like the panel wasn't there. Yeah, it was obviously again something like growing pains. Um, I think something probably it's it feels like something happened. They had to switch over. Maybe they don't have as many people like yeah. helping with like that kind of stuff. It does feel like something happened, and um. You know, I've worked events before. Shit happens. Yeah, yeah. I I hope it's better next year. And it wasn't bad this year. I, I just, think it, it will can be. be better. I'm okay with the. I really just want more panels. Like I seriously, it's my favorite thing to do at, at conventions. Mm-hmm. I like looking at artists alley and stuff. I really enjoy that. But I love going to to like panels. I think that there's so many interesting ones. It's because Mary's a fucking nerd. I mean, I also am. Yeah. <laughs> but I want to learn stuff. Yeah. I like I like those weird, really niche panels. They're interesting and yeah. fun. Mm-hmm. Totally. So hopefully next year we'll be a little more in that vein. Yeah. Um, we'll see. Um, I'm going to go again. Yeah. Because I have one more than you. Yeah. Um, I read How to Do Nothing by Jenny O'Dell, um, who actually just came out with another book like this month. Um, How to Do Nothing is not a how-to guide for how to do nothing. <laughs> it is a book um, about... The subtitle to it is like Resisting the Attention Economy, which is probably the better title for it, but I understand why she didn't title it that because who knows what the attention economy is. And the basic premise of this book is that we live in a world that demands our attention at all times. And because of that, we are not engaged with one another. We're not engaged with truth. We're not engaged with the natural world. We are constantly seeking sources of entertainment to distract ourselves, but also we are constantly being fed those things to distract ourselves. And in this book, she talks about the detrimental effects of living under something like this and how we can recapture our attention for ourselves. And I found this book to be so good. I loved it. It helped me put words to a lot of things that I feel, especially with regard to social media. Um, because as you may know, I am the social media fucking hater. <laughs> it's social media and Funko Pops. Just my nightmare. Um, so it helped me like put put into words things that I felt but didn't couldn't express. Um, so I found that really effective. I read some reviews of this book that fucking hate it and that just made you love it more. 
Yeah, there's so here's the thing. A lot of not a lot of, but some of the reviews criticize Jenny O'Dell for being privileged. And I don't want to argue that uh, she is privileged. She's a professor at Stanford who makes enough money to live in San Francisco, like the one of the richest places, like yeah. the most expensive places to live. Yeah, like of course, she is in fact privileged. But there was there were some really disingenuous readings of this book that were like, well, she's privileged, therefore she doesn't get to tell me how to live my life. And that's not her goal with the book is not to tell you how to live your life. There were some responses that were like, she doesn't understand what it's like to be to, you know, have to work two jobs to make ends meet. And like, yeah, she she talks about that. Like she talks about in the book that some people are more affected by this particularly pernicious style of capitalism than others are. And she doesn't blame people for that, which is where I think my reading diverged from some people who really hated it. Because it really felt as if some people read the book and were like, oh, she's calling me, she's she's like being mean to me because I don't have as much free time as she does. And I don't think that's it at all. I think Jenny O'Dell is essentially mourning the fact that some of us have it harder than others. It's a fucking tragedy that we don't all have enough time in the day to go sit in a rose garden and feel what it's like to be in the world, right? It's a fucking tragedy that some of us have to work so fucking hard in the day that all we can do is look at Reddit for three hours when we get home, right? That's a fucking tragedy. We shouldn't Oh, Jenny O'Dell is not wrong because she has the privilege to not do those things. It's a tragedy that we don't all have the privilege that Jenny O'Dell does. And I think that the book is quite clear on that front. I, I, That's how I understood it. Now, to be fair, at this point in my life, I am a person with privilege as well. Like, I've always had some degree of privilege. I'm white, you know, I'm cis. I am for lack of a... Uh, decent way to say this quote unquote straight passing um like I have a degree of privilege of course I wasn't always that way I grew up in poverty um I grew up at times not knowing you know where my next meal was gonna come from um I grew up at times without electricity and heat like I you know I have experienced poverty and the crushing effects of not having time or energy, to advance my life because that is how capitalism is designed to grind us under its heel and keep us trapped in destructive, um, exploitative labor practices that we can't rebel against because of the intentional gutting of social services and the intentional um, destruction of unions and so on and so forth in our country. But I have felt that too. Um, At this point in my life, I have been lucky enough to get out of that cycle, and I'm extremely fortunate to have done so, and I'm recognizing that. Um, but the thing is, this like it's the tragedy of capitalism, right? That I like. I feel like Jenny O'Dell is quite clear about that. It, she's not saying, you know, if all these poor people would just stop using their phones so much, they'd be happier. That's not what she's saying at all. Mm-hmm. She's saying it's a tragedy that this is the world that is being forced upon us. And when we resist that, when we resist th- resist that call for our attention and that need for distraction, we can find we can start to see 
how strongly it impacts us. Now, I don't think the book is perfect. I don't think that it's going to resonate with everybody the same way that it resonates with me. But I think that it is kind of disingenuous to read the book and accuse Jenny O'Dell of like demonizing poverty or not demonizing poverty, but demonizing people who live under poverty, poverty, who are unable to, you know, go visit the Rose Garden. Um, The Rose Garden itself, and she talks a lot about bird watching, which is one of her hobbies and, and how... Um, she has to resist, for example, when she's learning bird watching, um, she, or birding as the, the birding community calls it. Um, when she is like learning that she uses apps and books and stuff like that, which, which will often have a checklist. Right. And she, um, she, you know, will go through the checklist and try to spot all of these different birds. And she realizes this too is a form of the attention economy. I'm not enjoying the birds, I'm enjoying checking things off of a list. And that shapes the way that she engages with this hobby. Um, the the sense of completion, like, okay, I have seen every bird, therefore I have succeeded at bird watching, rather than just enjoying the experience of bird watching. Um, does that make sense? That, uh, that That's a really good example, okay. I think. Okay. Because I think that idea of checking things off, I immediately think of work and like the the we use a thing called Asana and like it's really gratifying to like check Mm -hmm. those off. So that same feeling of like the gratification of checking something off, like you've finished it. Yeah. Um, And then applying that to something that's supposed to be as lovely and organic as bird watching Mm -hmm. feel sucks. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of the point she's making. And a lot of the like negative reviews were kind of fixating on this idea of bird watching. And I'm like, it doesn't have to be bird watching, right? Like your bird watch, your, sorry, your your birding can be whatever it is to you, right? Like, uh, I'm a writer. Um, I do seek publication for my work. Um, but there's also a joy in just writing for writing's sake and yeah. not producing art that needs to be consumed by others. There I I don't know that I've ever really talked about this but like I feel so strongly that we should all be making art no matter how bad. Make more bad art. Like just go for it. Your art doesn't have to be beautiful, your art doesn't have to be consumable, your art doesn't you don't need to get good at art. Just make it. Like let yourself, you know, and and now I'm hearing like in my mind the voice of the critics of this book who are like, well, not everybody has time to make art. And you're fucking right. Not everybody does have time to make art. And that should cons- that should lead us to say, fuck our fucking society. That right? should be the beginning of the conversation. Yeah. Like everybody should have time to make bad art. Like I, I believe that so strongly. Um, so. Like, I don't know. I understand where some of the critics are coming from in terms of like, she's really privileged. Who is she to tell me this? Like, she doesn't live my life. You're right. She doesn't live your life and she lives a life of privilege. I don't think that means she's wrong. And I think that means that we need to understand that like, we should all have the abilities that Jenny O'Dell has. Like, we should all have access to that. And it's a crime that we don't. Um, Four day work weeks. Yeah. Like, it's just... Four-day work weeks with enough um, social safety nets to uh, not send us all into poverty. I know. I was talking – I was actually just talking to my coworker about this, and she said it because she's like – we were talking about the retreat that we had. She's like, I have so many feelings. And then she's like, we need a four-day work week. And I was like, well, we need all the time that we – like to get stuff done. She looks at me and she goes, we need 
a four day work week. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I don't. She's like, we need it. It's it's what we need should- a four day work week with the amount with the raise to compensate yeah. for the fifth day. Yes. And so she's she's very she is very same thing of like we need to have time to do yeah. the stuff. It is it is a crime that not everybody has access to the time that Jenny O'Dell has. And when I was reading it, I felt that was very clear from what she was saying. But I also do want to acknowledge like my relative position of, of privilege. And maybe that's why I read it that way, because that's how I see it. I can't look at it entirely from somebody else's point of view anymore. But I like I, that that's the condition I grew up in. My mom working extremely long hours. Um, I guess not even it wasn't necessarily long hours. It was strenuous hours um, and not having, you know, the energy as a single parent to cook dinner. Yeah. And also it's not having a stove or an oven um, because that's the kind of poverty that I lived in. Come to my house. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's a lovely book. I really, really loved it. I understand some of the criticisms of it, even as I think that many of them are somewhat disingenuous. but I think it's lovely and I think it's worth a read if that kind of thing is interesting to you. If you are interested in the the like the feeling of needing to be distracted, not just as like some we all need distractions sometimes. Don't get me wrong. Like, fuck. Art can be distraction. Yeah, absolutely. Like I need distractions. Yeah, we all need <laughs> distractions sometimes. I'm not I'm not down on the idea of like like for example, a good example for me is um, when I'm having really bad anxiety. I don't know why this is true, but reading like, am I the asshole posts is the perfect amount of engaging to help me get back to sleep. It probably helps that you're you have anxiety, you're really self-aware and you mm. are constantly thinking, like, am I doing the right thing? And like it probably At helps. At least I'm not as bad as these Exactly. Fuckers. These people are <laughs> questioning if they're the asshole. And it's so clear. Yeah. For Brings what, you peace. For whatever reason, am I the asshole is my go-to or like best of Reddit updates. Like for whatever reason. Those are the ones that like snap me out of it. That's so interesting because I feel the opposite. Yeah. If I have anxiety and like I'll I'll listen to like because a lot of I'll see a lot of them on TikTok where people are just saying them and I'll uh and if I'm okay, I listen to them. But if I'm have anxiety, especially if it's like between family or a couple, like something mm-hmm. that's just really ter- like cheating, it gives me so much anxiety. It's so interesting. And we have we've all got different brains. Yeah. Um well, I think for me, it's like, how can so- it's really hard for me to wrap around this idea of how can someone be that bad? Yeah. How? And it scares me that mm-hmm. there are. Yeah. So my point, my point here is that like, I'm a person who feels like really strongly about the potential detrimental effects of social media and the demands for our attention at all times. I still do it. I still look at social media. Jenny O'Dell does too. She talks about it in the book. Um, but, you know, we can think about it in a way that helps us cultivate a better relationship with the world around us, a better relationship with social media and distractions and understanding why we seek those things and how they are using us, I think is is good for us. So I recommend the book. I thought it was wonderful. Um, she is coming from a position of privilege, but I don't think that makes her wrong. Yeah. Like, I think there is sometimes a tendency to associate privilege with badness. But the fact of the matter is like privilege is not a moral issue. How you use your privilege is absolutely a moral issue. You, could you say that being moral and being ethical is different? Um, I mean, it depends on the source of your privilege, I right? Guess, yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is always a hard thing to. Uh, I'm not going to talk about that one. Let's talk about okay. straight passing privilege instead. Um, 
So, like, as a bisexual person in a relationship, as a cis bisexual woman in a relationship with a cis man, um, I have a relative form of privilege over other people in the queer community because in a heteronormative society, I'm read as heterosexual. People see my relationship and they go, that's heterosexual. That's a question. That's normal. I have nothing to say about your relationship. And so no matter where I go in the world, um, my relationship is read as socially acceptable and other people in the queer community do not always have that luxury, right? So that is a position of privilege. That's not an ethical choice that I made, right? Like I did not make the choice to be bisexual, nor did I make the active choice to fall in love with a man, right? Like that's just something that happened to me. Now, we can talk about all kinds of social factors that led to me dating a man. We can talk about the social factors of, um, you know, repressing my bisexuality for much of my life. We can talk about all that kind of stuff, and it's true, and it exists. But the fact of the matter is, it is it was not a choice of morals or ethics for me to fall in love with a man. Mm-hmm. That's just a thing that happened. So I'm in a position of privilege in that my relationship is read as, quote unquote, normal, by I think every society on earth mm-hmm. um, whereas other people don't enjoy that privilege but that itself is not a moral issue right mm-hmm. I'm not a bad person <laughs> for that reason all the other reasons though oh yeah everything else <laughs> all of the various horrible. crimes I commit crime um, lord that's me um, but uh, that's what I mean is like you can be a privileged person And that doesn't make you bad. But what you do with that privilege. So like, for example, if I, a cis bisexual woman, barged into queer spaces and said, you all just need to calm down. It's so easy for me to be in a relationship. Therefore, it's not hard for anybody. And then I use my power and my money to advocate for, you know, trans exclusionary policies or... (laughs) um, that kind of if I like if I do that, I am using my my privilege for unethical and in my opinion, um, immoral reasons. That is a misuse of privilege. I don't think that's what Jenny O'Dell is doing in this book. Well, and I think if she recognizes it, it's important to uh, to like appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, or at least you know accept it that she knows. Yeah, like some people, she she talks about it pretty explicitly toward the end of the book, and a lot of people were like, "It's too little, too late." And I was like, "I, I a book, I hear you." Like, I hear you. I understand where you're coming from. But at the same time, like, never in her book, at least to my to my reading, is she demonizing poor people for using their phones too much. You know, that's kind of the read that people are getting from it. But I don't think that's what she's saying. It's also a book. She she planned it out. She knew that what she's saying through yeah. the whole book and writing it. Yeah. It's not like a real life, like, happening in real time. Yeah. But I think it's lovely. I think it's worth me reading. Mary, I think you should read it. Um, I think it's a i think it's really really good i read twisted which is the fourth book in the never after series by emily mcintyre she does retell very loose retellings of can um, i take a guess at what this one is yeah um i don't actually have one so i have to think for a second but the, she does the retellings yeah the so horny retelling yeah dark re- horny yeah dark and horny dark and horny um so much of what i read though twisted it's probably not gonna be what you think because it wasn't what i thought even though anyways Candyland. I fucking wish it was Candyland. Rapunzel? No. Twisted. It's. I don't think you'll be able to figure okay, it out. Go. It's a retelling of Aladdin. 
Yeah, I would never have guessed. Um, at first, I was like, oh, this is the Wizard of Oz one, but that was the one before. Okay. Um, so this is the retelling of a Ala- very loose retelling of Aladdin. Um, Jasmine's played by a character named Yasmin. <laughs> Usually she's not that like. Um, and then Jafar is uh Julian. Jafar. <laughs> and uh Aladdin is Aiden. Okay. So she, her father is dying, he has cancer, and he's running like the biggest um diamond company in the whole world. Um, you know, billionaires. And uh she knows there's some like shady stuff, but she loves her dad, right? And her dad's like, uh, you're a woman, so you can't run this company, so I need you to get married. <laughs> And he's trying to set her up with all these people, right? And then there's Julian, who comes from just a horrible, like, poverty-stricken, but mostly what was horrible about it was he was just, like, beaten by... His 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 mother was beaten by his father, and because of that, his mother was be- beating him. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very sad, and they do go into that, and um, it, this is different from, like, what else I'm going to talk about, but I think it's important to know that he... Through most of the book, the way he speaks about his mom when he's younger is he's very loving towards his mom and is like, well, if I can get my dad away, she'll stop beating me. And that does get resolved into my mother's a terrible person Mm -hmm. because it kind of feels like it's going to like, well, she's my mom. I love her. It doesn't do that. Um but which was nice. So, anyways, she's like, I need a lover, and but I'm in love with this uh poor dude. His name's Aiden. And like within the first chapter, and this is something I really appreciate. She's fucking Aiden. I can't tell you how many people hate books when the main characters have sex in the book with someone else besides who they're supposed to get with. And I hate that. I want to have them be whores in the book. <laughs> they're whores and like uh like they talk about it, but like you know, she's having sex and then Julian comes and like watches her and he's like, I hate this woman, but you know, I'm going to watch anyways. Um, they hate each other. But I appreciate that in there because I think that is, I think a lot of her books are interesting in that the previous one, I can't remember what it was called. It was uh, the Wizard of Oz one. It really didn't feel like a typical dark romance book in that there was everything that comes with it, but it was really, honestly, at least for me, I felt it was more about the plot than it was these two people getting together, which a lot of dark romance is just about the people just getting together and the shit that happens in between um, because they don't get their like happy ever after. And even then you're like, I don't know if, if this ended happily ever after to like the last paragraph. Mm-hmm. And so I think she takes these, they're not, they're not in the grand scheme of books, they're not risks, but the grand scheme of where she's writing these things in the, in the, in the audience, I think that she takes risks. And I didn't actually particularly love, I love her first one that was about, um, is that about Peter Pan? I don't know. I remember you talking about yeah, that one. I loved, I loved that one. Um, and then the Wizard of Oz one, it just, it wasn't what I expected because it wasn't what like all the other dark romances I've read because and it was more about the story of this woman trying to anyways I'm not talking about that one I thought she <laughs> took risks and I think that she she kind of strayed away from that in this one which is fine because I liked it more um but it ends up being like Julian's like well I know you hate me and I fucking hate you so much you're a priv- privileged little princess but we should just get married and that because he wants to run the company he's been under her father the right hand man pretty much running the company while he's sick and for some reason her father is like no not you (laughs) so they get married and and aiden's like what the fuck and she's like i can't marry you because you're poor and my my dad doesn't like that and you're kind of like what the fuck is happening a bunch of shit happens how 
Is it that he's from a poor background? Because I'm wondering how poor the right-hand man to the person who runs a diamond business is. He, no one knows that he came from a, a really poor family. He, So what happened with Julian when he was younger and his dad died, he took over the um, laundromat that they owned. He sold that to get his way into college, into business school. And then by the time he got to his fa- to her father's business... Oh, he, this he, is Julian, yeah, this not is Julian. Aiden. Aiden. Aiden was a servant boy. Okay. He's a servant. I got the boys mixed up. Yeah. The boys mixed up. Um, And I thought it was really interesting because through through a good like half of the book, she still loves Aiden. She's married to Julian. And like, obviously, there's like this weird like, oh, maybe you're not who I thought you were and all this stuff. But she still loves Aiden. And she's still texting him. And like, where is he? Because he gets sent on a... He gets sent on a trip. He's like, Julian's like, hey, if you go try and find the lamp, which is the lamp i don't know what the lamp did i don't i i think i may it's have like uncut gems i think i think it may have breezed over it um there's some mystical power of it yes, i don't know i think it's just uncut gems yeah probably and this is actually a crossover universe <laughs> uh aiden doesn't find the uncut gem because adam sandler got it you're not wrong actually he was in the book well, I'll tell you. I'll give you a spoiler. So Adam Sandler, <laughs> Adam Sandler's there. No, Julian's like, hey, go find this lamp. And if you do, he knows that this is a fool's errand, right? Sure. The, the, they've been searching. You don't want for, the uncut gem. Yeah. You know what happened you've to been Adam searching Sandler? for the. La- he's been obsessed with finding the lamp, but you can't, they haven't found it in like a decade. And he's like, if you find it, you come back, you can marry her because the the king really wants it. King doesn't want it. He just wants to get Aiden to go away. Um, but when Aiden does go, it turns out that the archaeologist that was working there before, she had it and she, um, Aiden really wanted it. And like, he ends up being a bad guy and like went through all this shit to try and get it and um, <laughs> ends up, the girl ends up giving it to Yasmin, who ends up shooting, shooting uh, Aiden. So kind of, this is wild. <laughs> yeah, it it was pretty wild. Aiden ended up being like this bad person, which you kind of like. I'm like, of course he's gonna be because you know, because um, he's a servant. Because he's a servant. But like his and mom, we all know that they're morally bankrupt. Yes, yes. His mom wouldn't talk to her and like acknowledge her. Besides the fact like they wanted to get married, and he wasn't calling her from Egypt, which is where he was, and all this stuff. And so she's like, well, fuck. Anyways, um, yeah, you know. Julian's cool. He uh, uses a staff to beat people. And, oh, this is the most important part. He has have his snake. Um, I can't remember what her name is, but uh, he feed, he covers the people with rats and she eats them. Does he have Iago the parrot? Yes, but it's not a parrot. It's a it's an assistant. Oh. And it took me so fucking long to figure Played it by out. Played Gilbert Gottfried. Well, probably he talks about how he has like that high pitched oh voice. God. I was talking to my husband about it and he asked the same thing. I was like, no. And I'm like, wait a second. It's that guy. <laughs> I think his name's Ian or something, <laughs> which would make sense. Iago, That's Ian. so funny. Does Aiden have a monkey? Does Yasmin have a tiger? Yasmin does not have a tiger and Aiden does not have a monkey. Well, then it's bullshit trash. It is bullshit trash. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe, oh, her friend is probably the tiger because her friend's name is, hold on, I got to figure this out. Because Raja, right? Yeah. It's, My brain was trying to figure it out. I was like, it's not Shere Khan, that's the other tiger. And it's not Ragu, that's spaghetti <laughs> sauce. Um, I just read, I was looking at reviews because I had to remember what happened. Oh yeah, this is also a big age gap one. Love an age gap in fiction. It's currently a, reading one with a filthy pervert. Well, I'm currently reading one with a 35 year age. Damn. 
I'm pretty sure it is. I don't know. I'll figure it out later. But I'm pre- her name, her friend's name starts with an R A, so it has to be. Anyway, so her friend, her her friend is a tiger. Uh, um, yeah. So he beats people with a cane and um feeds them to the snake, which I think is the snake. There is not enough snake uh content in this book. <laughs> I want the snake to eat content. Uh, yeah. I like, I was so ready. Like, he loves this snake. His dad gave it to him, and it's like a, I don't know, 28 foot python. And it's the only thing that his father gave him that he loved. And, um, he, it's the, fir- it's the first thing that he fed to the snake is his father. <laughs> <laughs> I, here's, here's, here's what I was missing. This is the stupidest thing that I really wanted to happen. The snake fucking hates everyone, right? Because it wants to eat everyone. And it's and the snake only loves Julian. And Julian fucking loves the snake. He has a whole fucking room. Just the snake has its own room. And he he talks to a snake. <laughs> like it's therapist. Oh my god. <laughs> and he's like, there's a woman who's gonna come and live in here. You know, you're still my number one. <laughs> but um, it's not permanent, so don't get attached. And I thought they were gonna get like I thought it was gonna be like the snake loves her without anything happening and that's how he knew in the end they like hang out but i really wanted to like oh my god i love you because my snake loves you i really thought that was gonna be the turning point and it wasn't and i'm sad um i think the issue with this book is the same issue i've I've had with uh the last one maybe not the last i've had it with some of them as well and i've had it with a lot of other books the suddenly they love each other and I don't feel like they put in the work to get there. Like, yes, you hate, hate, had hate sex, but that doesn't mean the next day you're in love. Like it's, it's, I don't feel like I, there was, it was not a short book. It was a long book, but I feel like there's so much more that we could have like learned about these two that would have at least made me feel like I earned this relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, I did like, uh, they get pulled over and the cop is really rude to her and sexualizing her. And um, this is when they're still f- fake married. And he, the cop leaves and um, she's like, well, he was really rude. Good thing you're not my real husband because, you know, a real husband would do something. He's like, yeah, you're right. He's like, hold on. I got to go talk to the cop. Long story short, he steals the cop and beats him to death with a cane and feeds it to a snake. So, you know, oh my God. <laughs> Julian's a cab. <laughs> So it snakes an A cab. Um yeah, I liked it. It was it was fun. Um if you like dark romances, it's not as dark as others. I'll say that. Um but it is if you've read her books, it's it's in line with a lot of her books. I think that she does focus a lot more on plot than others do. And um yeah, I I liked it. I I totally forgot it had come out and um she has another one coming out that's going to be The Hunchback of Notre Dame. I'll be curious to see how that one goes. And uh, oh, she's gonna fuck that priest. Oh yeah, no, that's a hundred percent the the um the this the uh the what's it called the summary already already makes that clear. Yeah. Um, we love a good priest fucking. I mean, you should read Priest. <laughs> priest is one of the nastiest books I've ever read. Anyways, it's so good though. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. Anyways, I liked it. So twisted by Emily McIntyre. Cool. Um. I read Ultrasound by Connor Stuck Schulte. Uh, full disclosure, this is published by Fantagraphics, the company <laughs> that I work for in the marketing department. So take everything I say with a grain of salt. Uh, 
This is a weird fucking comic, and I really liked it. So <laughs> this is, I can't remember the character's names. It's been like maybe a couple of weeks since I read it. But it's about this guy whose car breaks down on the side of the road in a rainstorm. And this guy's like, oh, you can come, come to my house to get out of the rain. And, uh, you know, you can use my phone or whatever. But the power goes out or something. Anyway, the phone doesn't work. They're like, we'll get you to, we'll get you to a mechanic tomorrow. Don't worry about it. Um, and they're talking and the guy's like, yeah, I have depression and it's better now, but I just can't have sex with my wife anymore. And the main <laughs> character's like, excuse me, <laughs> why are you telling me this? And like specifically his wife or just anyone? Uh, he's talking about his wife and he's okay. he's like being really embarrassing. His wife is right there and she's like, oh. hey, shut the fuck up. Like, he doesn't need to know about this. And eventually it gets to the point where the guy's just like, "It would, you know what? Please fuck my wife. And the main character's this like, is like a book I would read. <laughs> the main character's like, excuse me? And he's like, no, please, please fuck my wife. Um, and he eventually is just like, I don't know what the fuck to do. And he like goes in there and and she's like, we don't have to do anything. Did the husband watch? No. Oh, okay. He was sleeping downstairs. Um, he, She's like, we really don't have to do anything. But they do end up having sex. And then he doesn't. <laughs> I'm sorry for the for the detail here. He doesn't finish inside of her. It doesn't happen. But a little bit later, uh-oh, she's pregnant. Uh-oh. And she's like, well, I haven't that had bitch. She's like, I haven't had sex with my husband in years, basically. It can't be him. And he's like, well, it can't be me. And she's like, it can it, only be you. It can. It can only be you. And um, I think he doesn't finish at all. Uh, and that that's the normal part of the book. After that, it gets fucking wild. And I want to spoil. Love that that's the normal part. Of I want to spoil a little bit, a little bit of it, because that makes it sound like some weird dark like, romance porn fantasy. Right. That it's a book about like mind control and hypnotism. It Would I like this? Fucking ruled. Would I like this? I really loved it. I really, really loved it's it. Ultrasound. I'll show it to you. Let it me. Kind of reminds me. Let of, me turn around and grab it. Um, the one book I love by the person who did Magic for Liars. Oh, Sarah Gailey. It kind of reminds me of that one book. This is sweet. It was so wild. I had no idea where it was going. The opening feels like a weird porny fantasy, but oh my god, it gets so fucking wild. It's like a surreal sci-fi story. I loved it. Um one of the things I really love about it is the art. Um it's done in this like really interesting style and at first there's like all of these stylistic elements like um colors overlapping and like different textures on the page. Kind of feels like guess who right here. <laughs> there's like kind of this like these stylistic choices that don't make a lot of sense until you reach like three quarters of the way through and it completely changes everything that has taken place before it once you finish the book you immediately want to go back and reread it to see what you missed i thought it was so cool i thought it was so interesting i really really liked it it like it's hard because the beginning does have that like kind of porny fantasy feeling but um which is like fine for some people but i feel like reading the first like i don't know 30 pages or whatever i think is going to put some people off but it's really purposeful about what it's doing um and i had a great time reading it i really liked it it was super weird um and just like every new page was something wild and new to experience um but i yeah i really enjoyed it 
if that kind of thing sounds interesting to you, like kind of a surrealist sci-fi, um, very stylized comic sounds interesting. It's worth checking out. It is like, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, it but I, re- I really liked it. Huh? It's horny, but in a weird oh yeah, it is horny in a weird way. Mary's away from the microphone, but she described it as horny in a weird way, and, and I she's want right. To hear the page just turn. Oh yeah, um, but yeah, ultrasound by Connor Schulte. I really liked it. It looks cool. I really like the art. Yeah, I also love the cover. I know. Listen, Fanographics publishes some beautiful fucking books. That I don't know what beautiful. else to tell you. <laughs> Um, I read Fay Princes, which is the last book in, um, I can't remember what the series is called, but the retelling of your fan. That's so good. And I absolutely adore, um, uh, Nikki St. Crow. Um, so we left off in the other one where, uh, you know, so Winnie is her name. Wendy is a different character. Her name's Winnie in this. And she, uh, Winnie Darling is on, you know, in Neverland and she's living it up and having, um, a poly relationship with Pan um these two these twin brothers and another guy who's like gruff and angry and mean and they have shadows uh he ha- i can't remember his name it's not brock it's not croc that's his brother uh yeah his his brother is just fucking everyone fucking i think that they're gonna have her next book is going to be or at least some story is going to be um hit croc and hook just fucking um Anyways, so long story short, these shadows live within them, partial shadows with Winnie and the other shadows with Gruffman and Pan's like, who am I? What am I? I have the light shadow, but nothing feels right. You know, everyone kind of has their person. Who am I? What am I? And in this book, we bring it back where it starts with suddenly Tinkerbell is there. And Tinkerbell is the two Fae Princess's mother and also used to be Peter Pan's best friend. And he killed her by saying he doesn't believe in fairies. Um, what a dick. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it, like it, it hurt him, but he found out that tinkerbell was fucking with the darlings heads and making them go crazy on purpose and good for her yeah well <laughs> we stan well he would kidnap the the darling family women and try to get into their head because one of them stole his his shadow um good for them good for them. <laughs> i haven't read this book i just throwing my alliances out wherever i want you've thrown them to two different ones you're on both sides now yes um but he has a shadow back and everything and everyone's kind of doing it. And then suddenly Tinkerbell's back and she's like, um, how about a war? Like, wouldn't that be fun? Like a war? Like, come, come live in the castle. And, uh, the prince's sister is ruling over the castle currently terribly, terribly. Um, and at one point it actually, so it was, the end was really good. You find out that Tinkerbell tells Peter Pan, you are mortal. You are you had a mother and you had a father and you are mortal. You are not born from this from this um, island. I lived in the lagoon for a very long time and I heard all the stories. You are mortal. And that fucking kills him. Cause he's supposed to be this myth. He's like, I wanna he's literally like, I just wanna die. I just I don't care about anything. I just want to die. I'm like, God, you're so dramatic. God forbid you're fucking mortal. Um, and the story is really about kind of more about Pan figuring out who he is, um, which is interesting because it's called the Fae Princess. But it's it really feels they want their wings back, right? So um, 
it's this really hard book to explain what's going on. So it's because it's the third one. Um, long story short, this is huge spoilers. And I thought it was a beautiful way to end it. And I absolutely adored it and did not expect it to be so beautiful. Pan is actually born of the North Star. And it was so beautiful the way he found out. And he had to die first. Croc kills him in the lagoon. And he comes out and he's this bright star. And his father is a wolf. And um, it was just beautiful. And he gave the, his shadow to the princes. And they ruled over. And it was great. Um, Tinkerbell died. So that was good. You find out Tinkerbell also came from the lagoon because uh, the sister sacrificed the um, throne to the lagoon, which was a big deal. And then she's like, I fucked up. I don't actually want her back. She's crazy. Um, and then she goes off to, uh, what's her name? Anyways, the sister goes off uh, f- with uh, Hook. So I'm sure that'll be the next book of them and Hook and Croc. Um, I really want to know their story. But I really liked the ending. I thought it was, a. I was really curious how this was going to end. I know she was leading up to something. But this book is definitely like half- smut and half story and sometimes the smut really takes over the story which is fine it's totally fine um but i think this one she was really focused on telling the story and i really loved how pan's um story ended and i love that it was the north star and there was just a lot of like if you love the peter pan story in any form there's a lot of references to that which is so funny because it's such a dirty book and I can't... <laughs> referencing the Disney movie is weird, but it's great. Um, yeah, I really liked it. I thought it was a great way to end this series. Um, I've talked about it before. It is, if you, if this sounds good, I want you to please read The Triggers first. Uh, this is a dark romance. There's some fucked up shit that happens. Not as bad as others, um, but like, please read The Triggers if this sounds interesting. Um, especially when Winnie starts having sex with the gruff guy. Um, there's a lot of violence there. Um, not like domestic violence, but like, you know, fun violence. Um, I won't spoil it because it's really important. But please, if this sounds interesting, they're really short books. Um, like, it literally read it in a day, and I'm a slow fucking reader. They're really, sl- they're really quick and easy to read books, but I really enjoyed it. I love a good Faye story. Um, especially when they're evil and these two boys are evil despite being, you know, part of the good guys. Um, but yeah, please read the triggers. You know, there's some weird sex scenes with like trees. Um, but anyways, we know you love that. I, there's a lot of weird shit that happens in this book, <laughs> but it's more towards the weird side rather than the dark side. Mm. So take that with what you will. Anyways, I loved it. Nice. Uh, so I finished Poker Face. Uh, I talked about the first episode of Poker Face when it first aired, which was quite a while ago now. Um, and that's the series with Natasha Leone, where she has this uncanny ability to tell when people are lying. And she ends up on the wrong side of a like evil casino guy. And they're after her. She this is sounds like a dark romance. Definitively not a cop. Um, and for the rest of the series, she uses this uncanny ability to travel for, I think it's a little over a year. She's traveling around the country, running from the law, um, and, uh, solving murders because she keeps, she keeps fucking stumbling into murders. Um, the first episode I was iffy on every episode, like the next three episodes got better and better. And then there, and then it was kind of like 
up and down quality. Like some of them were better than others. But I really liked this series. It was a lot of fun. I don't think this is a series that is like especially deep or um, anything like that. Like I don't this is not like uh, really like challenging television. If I say it's not good, people are going to think I mean quality wise, but it's not that. I think it's extremely good television and the fact that it's fucking entertaining. Like it's really entertaining it's and fun to watch. It's easy entertainment. It's easy. Yeah, it's it's pretty easy. There is like some some of the political stuff is probably more challenging for other people than me. There were some choices in it where I was just like, well, that's kind of a okay. <laughs> but but I had a great time watching it. It was super, super fun. Everybody seemed like they were having a good fucking time making the show. The the cameos are not they're not even cameos because that implies that they were there for a short time, but the number of people they got involved, like Stephanie Shu is in it, Joseph Joseph Gordon Levitt is in it, Ron Perlman's in it, um fucking who else? There's just a bunch of people in it, and it it just it's really, really fun to watch. It's not like really deep or anything but if you like to watch natasha leone be a disaster and fuck around and solve mysteries and the the funniest thing i think about it is the fact that her character is like the least canny detective ever like she's like she'll like go up to the person that she suspects of doing the murder and just be like i think you did a murder (laughs) and here's all the reasons i think you did a murder and every time it's like, why would you tell? Why would you say that? <laughs> like, what are you doing? And then she ends up in danger, but she gets out. Don't worry. Um, Spoiler. Yeah, I know. But I had a great time watching it. I thought it was really fun. Um, if you like a procedural, but you feel kind of icky about cops, this is a good one for that. Bob, watch it. Um, I thought it was super fun. Um, I really enjoyed it. I, what can I say? It's a fun show. Easy fun. Uh, easy fun. If you like that kind of stuff, try it out. It's good. It's really enjoyable. My last thing is Shorzy. I watched Shorzy. I have not really been in like the mood to like watch things lately. I don't know why. Well, I've been playing a lot of Stardew Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, and like reading really easy, smutty books. Um, but also like, doing stuff for the podcast which is long um so i really haven't watched even anything but i did watch shorzy with my husband and shorzy is the uh a spinoff of letter kenny with uh shorzy obviously and if you can't remember who shorzy is he's the one you never see his face and he starts talking about how different ways he fucks those two boys mom mm-hmm. um and lots of sh- shitting and farting um that's still there really? it's still there but oh god not as much i will say it's not as much as less you would shitting think. and farting. There's it, maybe not less, but not as much as you would think. Okay. So he goes to this 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 town. To We're off to a bad start here with this potential. I, I like. I don't crazy. think you would particularly like it. Okay. I don't. I think Josh might like it, but not as much as Letter Kenny. Um, my husband loved it more than Letter Kenny, mm-hmm. which was not surprising, just like with the with the humor and stuff. So he goes and moves to this new town to join a hockey league. Um, that these two native women own, not two, one owns, and then she has two different, um, like assistants that, that are always with her, and she's so fucking funny. I love her. And, uh, they are terrible. They're just terrible. And she's like, I gotta shut down. I gotta shut down. Like, we're not doing, we're not, no one's here. It's just costing too much money. And Shorzy's like, what if I can promise you that we'll never lose again? She's like, you can't promise me that. I'm promising that we will never lose again. Um, so it's about him trying to create a team where they'll never lose again. And he really just wants to be a winner. 
Um, and it is kind of cute and fun. And he's creating a, a family, a found family. And that's nice. The humor is still there. The same type of humor. He, um, it's, the humor is like mean, but not really. It's clearly a cover up for different things. And it doesn't feel that way. Like when he's wrong, he'll just start like saying bullshit to people. And that same, like how Letterkenny has that really sharp, like humor and like smart humor, it's there in a very shorty way. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was good. Uh, Onik, Onik, the yeah, yeah, she was Anik there. Or Anik, I Anik, can't Anik, now. she was I think there. Anik, yeah, she was there. She um, and I'm pretty sure there's a bunch of hockey people on there that I just don't know. Um, but yeah, it was good. I I thought it was fun. It was quick and easy, really short, and um, my husband loved it. And I liked it. I got a little bored at sometimes because I feel like it was kind of like repeating itself. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't watch it. It's not worth your time. <laughs> not that like it's bad. I just know you won't like it. Right. The you here is me. Yeah. Not yeah. yeah. Missy will not. Missy not will not like it. And not because it's bad. It's just everything that you didn't like about Letterkenny. We it were, feels yeah, that way. We were treading a thin line with Letterkenny. Yeah. And um shorzy might be off of that line. yeah i the the most impressive part of the show is that they can make that guy not look like um wayne because the same <laughs> it's the same actor he's very good at the physical he is like the way he carries himself as wayne is so distinctive yeah and so like shorzy always has his head kind of tilted up and his eyes are open so that helps <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of the way he carries himself. Um, and it was really good. And you just, and I was just reminded how hot he is in real life. <laughs> is he hotter in, uh, Shorzy? Um, no, I just was thinking about how hot he was. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, there's lots of fighting, dudes fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked it. It Shitting was good. And farting. It was good. I think that I appreciated that there was more of like the native stuff because I feel like their, their storylines, cause I feel like that just got, like pushed away for too many seasons in Letterkenny. Yeah. And I thought it was one of the most interesting things that they had in there. Um also I loved the woman who owned it and anything. Anyways, it was good. I liked it. I my husband liked it more, but he like I said, he's he likes more of that not potty humor, but like, like crass. Yeah. Raunchy. And someone who who's has more of a taste like Missy probably won't like it. And I'm, I'm right refined palette. I'm right in the middle. <laughs> it was fine. Nice. Excuse me. Sounded like I was crying, but I just had a little hiccup. Um, So I have finally watched Our Flag Means Death. I've joined. I've joined the 21st century. I haven't watched it. I know. So you're still living in the 1800s or whatever. You're with the pirates. That's true. Um, I'm just a pirate. I had watched uh, the first four episodes of Our Flag Means Death on a plane. And then um, I was on vacation this last weekend and we were very, very tired and we we're like, we should watch something. Well, we can't watch anything too um, like intensive because we're both really tired. And also I had been having like really bad anxiety issues. So I was like, I can't watch something stressful right now. <laughs> and I was like, you know what we can watch? Our Flag Means Death. And so Our Flag Means Death, if you haven't seen it, um, uh, it is a show about pirates. It's a comedy show about pirates. Um, specifically, the main pirate is named Steed Bonnet, and he is a dingus. Um, he's like this super rich dude who's just been like in love with the idea of pirates. So he leaves his family like an asshole and buys a pirate ship and then finds um, a crew of ding-dongs 
to be pirates with him. And apparently all the pirates are gay. It certainly seems that way. Um, so he ends up meeting up with the legendary pirate Blackbeard, who uh, it turns out is not having such a great time being a pirate anymore. He's kind of bored by it. And he becomes kind of entranced by Bonnet's like very fine things lifestyle. Um, it's a super cute show. It's really, really, really cute. It's very funny. Um, it, I think has gotten, it's gotten a lot of praise for queer representation, which is fair. There are a lot of queer characters on the show in different varieties of queer, which I appreciate. Um, it, much like I said about Letterkenny and about Legends of Tomorrow, this is a perfectly normal show from a universe that's better than ours. It's really cute. Do not get me wrong. I enjoyed watching it. It's super cute. It did not challenge me in any way whatsoever. It was, it was just, it's just fun and cute. And that's okay. That's not a bad thing for a show to be. Um, but if you have been led to believe by the passionate fandom, again, this is not a bad thing. If you've been led to believe by the passionate fandom, this is a show that's going to totally change your life. You may want to set the bar a little bit lower. <laughs> It's sounds- for some it has, so maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those things where uh, it's not bad and nobody's feelings about it are invalid just because they love it more than I do. The thing the thing for me is that I hear stuff like this like praised over and over and over again. I'm like, "Well, god, it must be like so good." And then I watch it and I'm like, "Oh, it's not bad." And it's not like it's not a bad show cuz it didn't challenge me. It's just not what I was led to believe by the degree of fervor from the fan base. Um, but I do want to say it's super cute and fun. Like it was a really fun show. I liked um all of the like there's some really fun cameos. I'm really glad Leslie Jones was in it. Um Leslie Jones is super funny. I really liked her character. Um the it's I think uh it's been described as a workplace comedy, which I think is a really fun way to look at it. Um it's really like I don't know. I like that the characters in it are allowed to be assholes. Like you get the impression early, like kind of early that like, oh, Steed, Steve, Steed is just a nice guy. He's just a nice guy. And then you watch him be like a complete and utter dick. And I'm like, yes, thank you. That's what I wanted. I wanted acknowledgement that this guy's a fucker. Um, <laughs> and like uh, it has a uh, Taika Waititi plays Blackbeard in it. Um, and it feels as though they're like, oh, he's just, you know, he's a pirate. So he's like kind of a dick, but not that bad. And then every now and then he'll remind you that like, no, he's really fucking bad. <laughs> I appreciated that, that the characters in it were allowed to be like pirates. <laughs> you know, um, I, I appreciated that they weren't just like out for hijinks. Like some of them were pretty fucking awful. Um, but yeah, it's fun. It's really, really fun. And that is a perfectly good thing for a show to be. I felt a little um, misled by the passionate fan base, which is probably why I don't participate in fandoms much anymore, (laughs) because I got the impression that this was like going to hardcore change my mind or really challenge me in some way. You just want a pirate's fucking. (laughs) No, I when I hear a lot of talk about something being like really revolutionary, you have high standards. I have high standards. And um, this is revolutionary in terms of representation, like in terms of what we are literally seeing on the screen. Mm. It is that. Like we don't often see non-binary characters on screen, like played by non-binary actors. We don't see I that. don't know what that they look like 
on the show, but they're very attractive. Oh, they are very attractive. <laughs> like I saw I saw them and I was like, oh. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're very attractive. They are very attractive. Um it's and like the it has this very this sense of like uh maybe not queer normativity, but queer normalcy, where like it's not weird for the pirates to be fucking each other. Like it's not it's not weird at all. Nobody's like, oh, gross or oh you're gay nobody's surprised by that nobody's even surprised they have like a conversation they're all just horny well it's not really that it's not really a horny show Mm. i mean it's a horny show but it's also not a horny show it's i get what i get what you're saying here we go it's pretty wholesome (laughs) like i got that maybe it needed to be hornier for me i got that feeling from it yeah it's wholesome yeah it is like i would say that that's true and i don't mean that in a bad way um there's room for all kinds you know uh there, there's like conversations about I don't want to spoil too much, but there's like conversations about the non-binary character, for example, that are um, very loving and uh, ask questions without being nasty um, that I think is effective. Uh, it's just not a sh- it's not a show that's going to challenge me. And that's OK. Like, I want to make it clear that that doesn't make that doesn't diminish the quality of the show whatsoever. The quality of the show remains the same and it's a good show. I think that what. The main issue here is if that sucks is that you have to make you have to say these things. Yeah, I, it frustrates me that you have to spend a chunk of time talking about this to make it clear you, that you don't think this thing that other people think is so like representative is as representative in your way as theirs. Yeah, and I that makes like that's that's for me the issue. I think what makes it what make, does make the show interesting is the fact that it is kind of dealing with an alternate history in which. Um, queer normativity exists you mm-hmm. know i think that that is interesting um it's it just didn't go much farther than that and that's okay it's just when i am thinking about revolutionary queer media at this point in my life at 34 in the position that i am in with the kind of media i like to engage with i'm looking for a little more than that um and that's just my personal taste um it's not reflective of the quality of the show, which was good. I just with stuff like this, I know that people feel really strongly about it because they see themselves in stuff like this. And I have been in the position in the past where I see myself in something and then somebody's like, oh, well, this thing is bad. And then I go, oh, I'm bad. Or mm-hmm. my identity is intertwined with it to the degree that I am hurt when people say things like that. And that's that's like the opposite of what I want to do. Like if you see, yeah. if you see yourself in the show and you're like, wow, Missy doesn't think it's very good. Then what does that say about Missy? What does that say about me? And it says nothing at all. The quality of the show is good. I think the issue then is um, what you've talked about before, especially just us of tying up your identity with a fandom. Yeah. And I've tried really hard personally to get away from doing that because... Like, I have to exist outside of media. I can't get my, uh, I can't only exist in a world that where my identity is affirmed only by popular media. Um, and that's like a decision that I have made at this point in my life. And some people may not be interested in that, and that's fine. Um, it's just what I'm looking for is to be challenged a little bit more. Um, but like I said, much as I feel about Letterkenny and about um, Legends of Tomorrow, and again, I love Legends of Tomorrow, this feels like a normal show from a universe where things are better than ours, like where it's not revolutionary to have a bunch of queer pirates. Like, I love, th- I love that. I love whatever universe that is, 
where this is a normal show, I would like to live there. Um, it is revolutionary because we don't live in that universe. Um, but it is, it's really cute. I think you would enjoy it, Mary. <laughs> I'll watch it eventually. Yeah. I like, I think that it's like the perfect, um, pick me up kind of. I don't know what it is, but I've had a really hard time like picking up shows. I like, I still need to watch Dairy Girls. I still need to watch mm. the new Shadow and Bone. Like, there's things like I need to watch that I know I'll love, but like, there's just like, I don't know. A Life is hard. Block. Yeah. There's like this block of like, it's not executive dysfunction, but let's pretend that is like sure. an entertainment decision, uh, entertainment version of that. Yeah. Uh, so eventually I will get there. I think but I'm not there right now. I think like I've I've been through periods like that, too, where it's just like you want the comfort of something familiar mm-hmm. over the the potential disappointment of something. New. Yeah. Like I'll rewatch. I I haven't done it because I've been doing this and I'm trying not to watch TV in bed, but like rewatching the OC. And I've been yeah. thinking about rewatching Avatar. Yeah. Because it's good. It makes sense. Like, sometimes you want the comfort of something familiar versus yeah. the potential disappointment of something new. But I really do want to watch the new Shadow and Bone. But my hang-up is, like, I don't want to watch the other stuff. I just want to watch Six of Crows. <laughs> the Crows. Stuff. The Crows Supercut. They're good. <laughs> I mean, I hear you. Um, and Waylon, I'm so excited. My son. I just need to fucking watch my it. My son. Um, but, yeah, I think I think when you do get around to it, uh, you'll enjoy okay. our flag means death. I think that you're gonna like the humor and all of that. Um, my personal favorite a pirate. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the expectation for me would be. But my favorite pirate is Lucius. I love him because he's luscious. <laughs> he's. I like his pants. He. I have a, a pair of big pants. Um, <laughs> that I love are ripped. And I need to sew them. And every time Lucius was on screen, I'm like, God, I got to sew those pants. He looks so comfy. <laughs> um, he's my favorite character. Nice. So I know you all on the, you were like biting your nails. Like who is Missy's favorite pirate? It's I, just, I don't know anyone, but so I'm going to say that the non-binary characters, cause they're really hot in real life. It's true. They are really hot. <laughs> I think you'll like them also. Okay, I, think, I think you'll be into them. Uh, do you have anything else to say? No. Cool. Um, that's it. Oh, wait. I oh. do have one more thing to say. Please. If you're listening or watching to the Vanderpump Rules drama, <laughs> please talk to me about it. None of my friends have watched it and I gave them a complete rundown. And yeah, I can't wait to talk. I'm 100% going to talk about it on the podcast, but we're Good. not, but the show is not over yet. And I'm dying. I'm <laughs> dying. I can't believe Sandoval. I can't even see the word Sandoval without saying Scandoval. <laughs> Anyways, Vanderpump Rules. Get ready. <laughs> um, that's it for this episode. You can find us online at fakeygirlscast.com, which has all of our previous episodes. Um, thank you to Emily June for working on our transcripts. Uh, if you like this, consider supporting us on Patreon. A small donation per episode can get you uh, access to our outlines ahead of time. Um, $10 per month lets you vote on upcoming topics. Um, it's cool. Consider it. Mm-hmm. Uh, next time, we're not going to be talking about Letterkenny, which is what I put on here for whatever reason. Uh, we're going to be talking about The Amber Spyglass, the final book in the His Dark Material series. <laughs> Listening to that book immediately. Oh, I see why the Catholic Church just did <laughs> Holy shit. It just did not hold back. <laughs> like within the first couple chapters, I was like, I can't yeah. remember what it was. But it was basically like, you don't exist. Yeah. Oh, God, I love, I love The Amber Spyglass so much. I need... Uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but there's a point midway through the book where I start I start crying once per chapter and I don't stop until oh, the man. end. 
Um, it's so fucking good. So we're going to be talking about the Amber Spyglass and the third season of His Dark Materials. Uh, and then after that, we're going to be talking about Magic Mike XXL because it's my year, baby. <laughs> it's time to talk about Magic Mike XXL. Um, I don't know if we're going to talk about Magic Mike's last dance yet. Um, I should watch it and then decide if it's worth it. But let me tell you, Magic Mike XXL is so fucking good. I can't wait. Uh, and that's it. All right. Catch you on the flip side. Yeah. <laughs>